Hey everyone, welcome to The Way. This is Francis. And this is Jason, coming at you from the DMV. Hi, welcome back. I hope you guys liked the first episode. Welcome to episode two. Where we, of uh, The Way. Of The Way, yeah. We're uh, going to talk about and continue on um, from our journey um, through the wilderness and uh, into the leap. Yes, the leap. Um, Did you know that this year is leap year? Man, how appropriate is that? I know, right? Yeah. Ha ha. So, one thing I want to do before we actually get moving forward, I want to just kind of rehash a little bit something that um, I just felt kind of needed to be said. And that is, um, you know, although our journey has been a pretty tough journey, um, it's been good, first of all. Yes. The wilderness has been a good place for us and has served us in uh, just um, so many different ways and amazing ways and, and has taught us and grown us. And um, I don't look back on it with negativity necessarily. I look back on it um, in kind of thankfulness. Yes, and, and I agree with that. Yeah, and one of the things that really jumps out at me to be thankful for is that although, you know, as Francis had said and I, I echoed um, that that season, the wilderness season of our life was lonely, there were a number of people that we met along the way that were really blessings to us. And each place that we live, Connecticut and uh, Grantsville and Ohio, God always put people in our life that were just a blessing to us. Right. I mean, even just from the very beginning of our salvation story, you know, where we got saved up in Connecticut, I mean, the pastors there were just unbelievably, like, just loving and patient with us and really walked us through the the, the hardest part of our marriage. Yeah. And the church body there was a small body, and they didn't know anything that was going on in our marriage, but they just loved us and prayed for and us prayed. all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, shout out to those people. You guys know who you are, and um, uh, thank you. And that's really Jesus bringing the, uh, the people in our lives that just willing to love us. You know? Yeah, and I just want to mention one family that really embraced us in Ohio. That um, well, When we first got there, especially. we first got there and just loved us unconditionally, treated us like family, the Bushlings. Um, and uh, y'all are just amazing folks, and you loved us, you know, who we were and how we were, and uh, treated us with just uh, kindness and generosity and just kind of embraced us um so uh hey bushlings we love you thank you so much we miss you <laughs> all right so as we move forward um i want to kind of uh talk about our time during the season where i was gone in afghanistan yeah because i'm i think that um, was the place where a lot changed for us uh spiritually uh there was a big overhaul that went on individually and collectively as a family, um, you know, which is kind of fitting considering <laughs> we were kind of apart during that time. So yeah. we kind of had to both just truly rely on Jesus and like just figure what that looks like in our own lives, you know. So up to the point where I went away to Afghanistan, you know, living in Ohio was a really tough experience. And um, God brought this amazing gift of an answer to a prayer um, that we had been begging him for mm -hmm. uh, to get us out of financial difficulty. 
And he provides this opportunity for us to go to Afghanistan or me to go to Afghanistan and Francis to kind of hold the bag at home. Um, and it was a tough decision to make, but we really felt like the Lord spoke um, in that situation. And um, so I go away and I'm working in Afghanistan and uh, it's tough. You know, the first six months or so of that journey was tough. And um, while that was happening, um, Francis stumbles across some resources um, just in her time, you know, being a mom. She's in family <laughs> Christian store. Actually, just shopping, yeah. trying to pass. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, you know, like I said, I was alone. I was with uh, Melina and Kylie during that time, and we're just like, oh, let's go stop at the bookstore and um, stumble across this book called Crazy Love from Francis Chan. And well, why it stood out to me is one, it was like the author is like Francis and I'm Francis. So I'm like, hey, cool. And he was Asian and I'm Asian. You know, hey, that's double cool. And then the title is called Crazy Love. And I think if I remember, you know, correctly, it was like it was a uh, an 80s song, a line from an 80s song. I can't even tell you what song that was, but I just remember Crazy Love. And so I'm like, so I read the back of the book and I was like, oh, this sounds really interesting. You know, Jason's a reader. I'm not. So I'm going to send him a book. I'm going to buy this and send the book to him to yeah. Afghanistan. She bought the book, didn't read it, just read the back of it and then sent it to me to read. That's yeah. kind of how it went, right? That's right. Because you All know right. what? That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I am being your helper. <laughs> your helpmate. So uh, she sends me the book and, um, you know, I read it and I literally devour it. And, you know, it just, what Francis Chan had to say in that book just kind of, it just, I was ready, I guess. I'm not sure if it was, you know, the Lord's timing or, or what, but it was well, just it was a, a message. Timing. It was a message that I was ready to hear. Yes. And, um, you know, Francis was used by the Lord to really spur this very personal um, kind of overhaul in my life. And it changed the way that I viewed Things and it started me on a journey of of uh, transition in my life. And there was another book that actually she sent to me, um, uh, "Vintage Jesus" by Mark Driscoll, and and this one actually was just as powerful and just as impactful in my life um, because what it did is it helped it helped me understand Jesus's uh, place in my life yeah. um, as Lord, not just Savior, and. You know, I had, you know, understood the, the terminology of Lord and Savior, but never really kind of embraced it as a in my personal life. And so this uh, kind of revolutionized the way that I approached my personal life, not just my ministry life. And um, placing Christ at the center of every decision and every aspect of my life. Um, and there were other things along the way, other resources along the way, but these two are, and my wife was used by the Holy Spirit to uh, be the catalyst of this of this shift in my life, and oh, thanks, honey. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so you know, Afghanistan was kind of like the start of this paradigm shift in yes. our in our life, right? And, and our life personally, as well as our ministry life. Yeah, because honestly, go, when he left for Afghanistan, um, the only thing that we were looking forward to is when he comes back. We had planned on leaving Youngstown, Ohio, because honestly, at that time, it was just really, really a tough. 
uh, and lonely place for us. Yeah. Um, we just didn't really even understand why we were there. And so, you know, we had a goal of when he came back, we were going to then move wherever that may be, maybe back home to Maryland or elsewhere, maybe even Connecticut. Um, and But during that time, because of the overhaul in his um, spiritual life, um, I was we were also here by ourselves, so in, in Ohio, and that God was truly speaking to me as well. Not just like speaking in like ways that he's teaching me, but also it like showing me all the different things that still needs to be um, surrendered to him mm. and to to put to rely on him for and so individual for me personally that was also being um, uh, I guess overhauled in my heart you know um, Kylie and I attended a real ministries um, conference their first conference or something and I just remember going uh, yeah like I don't know how real I am really being to to, to even Christ, like with all my different feelings, because, you know, uh, up to that point, I still held on to a facade of this is this is who I am. This is my personality. But I only want you guys to see the good because I'm trying to be a good Christian, you know, and I think what transpired during this time away from each other was God is showing me all the different things that's just not good mm. in my heart. And um you know, coming from a place that when we had stayed with our friends uh, in their basement, there were some things there that needed to still be um, dealt with and released to him and surrendered to him so that I can be healed and be uh, who he's created me to be rather than this idea of who I am for myself or for anybody else. Yeah, and I think that it it actually helped us stop looking forward and actually gave us the ability to experience the moment. Yes. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. because up to that point, because we were so disillusioned with what was happening, we were kind of And what we just went through for when we first got there in Ohio. Yeah, we were really disillusioned by that. And so our focus was forward. And then, and what the Lord did through teaching us surrender and helping our hearts to to really go through a change, um, we actually were content with the moment and that led to a heart change about where we were going to live right and so we actually decided to stay in ohio and um i had talked to francis because the lord really spoke to me while i was in afghanistan towards the tail end of that trip about what my next step was going to be and after we had decided to stay in ohio i really felt like the lord wanted me to talk to to the lead pastor of the church that we were a part of in ohio and ask him to consider me for the youth pastor job and uh, he said, yeah, um, that's cool. I wasn't ex- expecting you to throw your hat in that ring. Um, but there's six people ahead of you um, <laughs> that I'm considering. And I said, well, you know, I'm here to do what the Lord's telling me to do. Yeah. So while he was in Afghanistan, he after nine months, he came back for a break, like during for Christmas. Christmas. Yeah. And that's where he had that conversation with our pastor. Um, and they had just really started looking for... To fill that position of youth pastor. Right. So, honestly, Jason was going to go back to Afghanistan to finish off his months. contract. Yeah. Um, but that gave them time to, like, eh, maybe consider him, yeah. you know. And they crossed six names off the list in that in those three months. And, yes. Uh, when I came back, um, we actually sat down and had a conversation. And uh, the truth is, it was a miraculous 
in my opinion, it was a, a miraculous uh, happenstance. You know, God ordered that moment for me to be in that role. Um, and he, uh, you know, and I hate saying it this way, you know, but the Lord kind of honored the obedience of Francis and I's surrender and really staying where he told us to stay. At the same time, during that Christmas break. Yeah, we really celebrated that little break. And then we found out I was, we were pregnant with Caleb. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you remember the story from the first episode of like, um, the Lord just kept bringing uh, his name to mind for years, uh, for years yeah. and that he had promised us a son. And so as soon as we found out we were pregnant, uh, I, I knew it, he brought that the Holy Spirit basically like reminded me of that the years prior yeah. of him saying that he was going to bless us with a son and that we are to name him Caleb. Um, by this time, Jason was back in Afghanistan. And so he also had his own experience with the Holy Spirit yeah. regarding our son. I had a real uh, powerful moment personally where I was doing a seven day fast and uh, I was in the middle of a prayer walk one night on base and uh, just was crying out to the Lord. And, and I mean, you hear people tell stories like this about like an audible experience. You know, it, it felt audible. I don't think that I could hear it with my ears, but it just felt that way. It was that profound. And in the conversation, you know, the Lord's speaking to me and and it was amazing and i'm weeping as i'm walking so i'm sure i look like a weirdo walking around on base <laughs> but uh you know the lord a starts anyway. well i'm a weirdo anyway but yeah <laughs> um i was an extra weirdo mood in that moment and jesus is speaking to me and he is talking about my son and his name and what he's going to be and how he's going to you know grow and all these things and, and it was just it was so amazing So I get back from Afghanistan in March, April time frame of 2009, and uh, I'm brought on staff at our church in Ohio as a youth minister. And, you know, the, the first, you know, year, year and a half, two years, um, I'm doing youth ministry and Francis is, is working with me side by side. And we are um, really attempting to do this, you know, the way that youth ministry is done. You know, we had like a youth church set up and, you know, we're preaching the gospel to these kids and really trying to teach young people, you know, the need for Jesus and all these things. But it, it, it just, for whatever reason, it just, it, it was missing something. It felt empty. And um, the emptiness, I believe, was this discontent that the, that the Holy Spirit was putting in Francis and I. And we couldn't necessarily put our finger on it in the beginning. Um, but as we started to like pray and like study and really kind of go deep on this, one of the things that we recognized that was the most effective part of our ministry and honestly, the most effective part of our life, yeah. I mean, if we're, if we're really honest, mm -hmm. was not typical, what you would consider pastoral quote unquote ministry, what really was happening was God was showing us that where we are the most effective is in 
relational ministry where we're sitting in a living room on the couch and we're having a conversation with someone and really life on life discipleship. Right. And not even just like on our couch, like maybe like the coffee, coffee place, shops, you know, coffee yeah. shops or um, when we're doing day to day things, running errands and you're sitting in the car with that person, you're yeah. just discussing things. Um, one of the things, you know, like I want to go back to is, you know, um, we realize that there's this shift in once we became pastors, people kind of start to gravitate to us. Because remember when we said a couple of years before, when we first got there, we, it was lonely, like as if we didn't have any friends. And I think that's on purpose from the Lord. But at the same time, um, what I, for me at least, what really triggered a lot of things is that suddenly these women or people wanted to be my friend when nobody really cared to even look my way you know, when we first got there. And I realized then, because, and I don't think people meant to do what, you know, what it seems, which is like, oh, I'm just going to befriend them because they're the pastor's wife or now they're pastors, so we got to love on them. I don't think it was like conscious, but I think that is sometimes what happens. You forget all the other people that are in your body because it's a big church or it's like, it's just you're busy going in and out of church on those uh, services that you neglect to look across the pew to your brother or sister in Christ that maybe have a need because you don't have a relationship with them. Right. And so what we saw is same thing with these kids. These kids attend church and like they come to youth group and but what's shocking is that they don't even have their own personal relationship with Christ. They know the word of God. They can quote it to you. They know the church lingo. They know the ins and out of what happens in a church. But a real desire to, one, uh, love Jesus and love his word and to follow him was really about almost just um, out of obedience to, like, the culture of the church. I, ironically, what Francis is talking about is is something that God puts us in this situation where even the, the leadership of the church, specifically the pastor, is feeling this itch that something's got to change, right? Yes. And, you know, so we, this this shift that she's talking about, like we we step foot into this situation and immediately things start to shift mm-hmm. all around us, right? right? right. Um, and we're feeling this, this discontentment with uh, that culture that she's talking about. And, and what it really boils down to is, when, when church functions as an organization and not a family, um, relationships are not valued. Right. Right? Um, you know, people want to believe that race, relationships are valued, but they're really not a value as part of an organization. Right? The structure, the culture of the organization is more important than really loving your brother and sister in Christ in a, in a real tangible way. And so we saw this. In the, in the youth ministry, but this is what was going on throughout the church. And so the church starts to go through this transition at the same time that Francis and I are having this, this rumbling in our hearts and re- realizing that something's got to change in the youth ministry. And um, 
it really affected us personally because as we're trying to discover the best way to minister to these kids, um, we're discovering some things about ourselves. You know, we're discovering what is the most effective way for us to do what God's called us to do as, as, as people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the things that were really frustrating would be things like, um, and Frances can probably speak to this because she used to express this frustration to me, which I was a little slower on the uptake on this because I was in the midst of being, you know, a vocational pastor. But Francis would ask me questions all the time like, why are you spending so much time in a staff meeting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why Why are you, you know, you have these kids who are, are struggling, uh, have these situations in their lives where they need stable discipling figures in their life. And here we are worried about, you know, the carpet or the pew or what song we're going to sing or the production of a service on Sunday. And... You know, those questions from Francis, I believe, were the Holy Spirit. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, it's like, obviously, when you have a traditional church, those things become important. Right. Um, you, it, it's, it, it's just a necessary evil, yes. basically, that you have to deal with. Yes. But at the same time, is that really what's on in the scripture? Yeah. You know, I mean, is this how... The, the early church did it, yeah. you know, did they worry about which mountain to sit on and how far they are from, you know, uh, whoever's teaching, you know, it's like, I don't, it, it, I, because I wasn't raised in the church, I quite, I had a lot of questions yeah. and I wanted to understand, is this really what we're, it's supposed to be? Is this what it's taught in scripture? Like, are we supposed to care, you know, like the number of songs or, uh, the lighting or the carpet or, you know, setting the, the setting, the atmosphere or, um, you know, just different things. And again, I'm not knocking it. I know that's a necessary evil when you are when you are doing church the traditional way. But at the same time, I don't know if I, that's where my heart was. Yeah, it definitely wasn't. And honestly, what's ironic about that, those questions is that at the same time, that was rumbling in our leader's heart. And we actually, he started to try to bring transition to the church to focus more. Things like we tried to simplify things down to a discipleship process. Yes, we did. And honestly, that was a real amazing experience for Francis and I to walk with him through that journey because it really informed us, honestly. Right. What you're going to find out as we continue through this uh, journey with you on this podcast you're going to hear us talk about this discipleship process that Francis and I really have um, bought into. And uh, that process is called Love, Serve, Go. And it's it's the name of our ministry, the overarching name of our ministry. Yes, it is. Um, it's also really who we are. That's what we really believe that God wants us to do. Um, so... Because of that paradigm shift and because of this thing that's being cemented in our hearts, God also gave us an amazing example of how to live this out as we were working through this. And that was through this small group that we had uh, in Ohio. And uh, we had some amazing folks uh, that we were, God had put in our life to really do life with uh, in our church in Ohio and kind of cut our teeth on this idea of, love, 
So you remember what it was called in, in Ohio, Francis, when we first went down this journey with the with the discipleship process was called? No, I love can't. God, love people, serve others, serve others. Yes. And, and we, you know, Bridge of Hope, the church that we were a part of, um, started to adopt this um, uh, process of how to how to do life as a Christian and how to do life together. Yes. And so we were doing this with a with a body of believers, a small band of of rebels, so to speak, uh, in <laughs> our small rebels. group, right? Well, and it just, it, it was amazing. Maybe it, we were the rebels. Yeah, we were probably the rebels. <laughs> so, you know, we had a group of people who we loved and, and cherished and were doing life with. Yes. And, and this is where really this whole uh, thing started to kind of flesh out. You have any thoughts about that, Francis, about the small group and and what that meant to you? No, not really. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I mean, I think it was the first time we really just felt like we were we were a church body where um, each person that was in that group really, truly, like, loved the other. And we walked through, like, you know, the tough times, and at the same time, we celebrated the good times. Like, you know, every milestone that each family had, we kind of, like, enjoyed or cried together with uh we pray for one another uh there were things that we held each other accountable for you know i mean we kind of i mean it wasn't to the extent of what we do now here at our own church reach but it definitely um almost like it was like practice yeah you know? we're cutting our teeth yeah the lord was really showing us what the future held for us mm-hmm. um and honestly the small group you know i'm forever indebted to those people allowing us to even be in their life, honestly. Right, right. Because you know? honestly, we, I don't think we knew exactly what we were doing. And they were trusting the Lord that the Lord was talking to us to right. teach them these things. So uh, thank you for allowing us to just basically fumble and stumble through that. And I am forever grateful to the Lord that... He kept you guys, and we didn't ruin your lives. Yeah, thank, I hope. Yeah, thank God we didn't therapy. ruin you. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe we did. I, I don't know. know. Yeah. <laughs> it could be. Um. Anyway, you know, as we're going through this season in Ohio, um, something really dramatic happened. Um, that really kind of jolted us and kind of shook us to really want to start looking at where we're going to um, where we're going to land. Yes. Almost not, I want to say permanently because Francis and I have come to the realization that we're not sure God's ever going to have us someplace permanently, but at least a place where we're going to put our roots down and actually uh, be for a period of time for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that place um, is here in the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. Can you talk a little bit about what that catalyst was, Francis? Yeah. Um, if we kind of go back a couple of years, um, my we had a death in our family. So my uncle, who is the husband of uh, my mom's older sister, um, passed away. And it basically uh, just jolted the family because I think, you know, we've had other deaths, obviously, our grandparents, but um, for some reason this was different. And I think it's maybe because um, my uncle and obviously his my aunt were close to my parents. Yeah. They were super close. They did things together. They did fun things together. Um, and that their home is actually the home that we 
lived in when we first came here from the Philippines. And it was kind of like the family home where everybody went to for parties and we did things, you know, there with them. And so, and they took us places. Um, so it was definitely a, a death that really affected the whole family. Um, and maybe because we were far away, um, I didn't really see uh, a lot of that. And it, but we would when we would come home and visit, um, I could definitely see the difference in my parents and how um, maybe not to extent of like oh like right you know people would normally see it, but because you know we would just visit once in a while, we could definitely see the difference. Yeah. And and one of that is just um, or the main thing is that there was this fear of the unknown, fear of death. Um, where would they end up? You know, if, if they died, and and they may not have been communicating that, but the little conversations that we did little have, comments. the comments, yeah. uh, there were definitely uh, those. And I don't know if it's just that that's the, what the Holy Spirit used to really get my attention on this or what. But I remember coming back from one of our visits, going back to Ohio, and and the Lord just speaking to me about. Basically saying, okay, so you're here in Ohio. You are trying to make disciples of these kids because we were youth pastors. And, you know, are you making a difference? Like half the time they don't want to listen or we don't really know where they're at. Um, parents don't really give us the support uh, or at least some of them don't and so we get pushed back a lot on different things that we're trying to teach them making sure that they take ownership of their own relationship with christ and also parents relationship in discipleship of their children right. and so in that moment god was saying you're doing all this you're trying to basically make disciples of people who is making disciples of your parents who is sharing the gospel with them do who's telling them about me so that they don't have fear in death but have hope in me in in eternal life you know and that really um just really spoke to my heart about like what the next step of our lives should be yeah. which is i felt this urgency to communicate to jason go i think it's time for us to go home I, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know when, but I think we are supposed to go back to Maryland and share the gospel with my family, whatever that, however that looks like, and love them. You know, to just be there, especially as they get older. I want to be there. Yeah, and 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 why this is significant is because up to this point, we had never expressed to each other a desire to come back to the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Like we were adamant that we were probably not ever going to move back here. Right. And so this was a huge shift in the way. That we thought about, you know, what our future held for us as a family. And, you know, again, the Lord speaks through my wife and he spoke through her very plainly. And as that was the catalyst, the, you know, the bigger picture started to unfold for us as it got closer and closer to when we felt like the Lord was moving us from Ohio. And... In 2000, late 2012 and into 2013 is when we made the transition from Ohio to back to the Maryland area, the D.C. area. Uh, Francis came first and and, uh, and then I came after her and we actually settled with uh, the aunt who had lost her husband. Yes. Um, and uh, we lived with her for uh, a season and, uh, you know, that was... 
that was uh, you know an exciting time, honestly, because right. you know we really felt like the Lord was bringing us out of the wilderness at that time. Yes. So this is part of our leap. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like leading up to that leap. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, we have this excitement, and we're, um, you know, coming back home. You know, and it's always kind of cool to come back home, and we have really uh, look forward to, you know, our our two kids. You know, our oldest is already married and 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 on her way, and so we have our two school age kids um, who are. Uh, going to be raised, you know, near family, mm-hmm. which uh, that's not an experience really that we had in, in our years up to this point. So, right. uh, you know, we were excited about what God's going to do as far as uh, bringing the gospel to family members and, and just this thing that he's birthed in our heart. And uh, one of the things that we had decided is that we were going to rest uh, for a little while and, and be under uh, leadership of a, of a pastor in a church. Right. Um, and so we, we found a church, um, and it's a church that we were familiar with. It's a it's a pastor that we knew from times that we had visited in the, in previously. Yes. And uh, we had a good relationship with this man, and, and we really felt like we were on the same page. And that really he really understood the calling that God had on our life. And so we settled at this church. And uh, when we came home, and, and we were a part of it, and he actually uh, asked us... Um, to join him in partnering in ministry to work with young people and young adults in the church. Um, and, uh, you know, that was a really interesting season for us because, you know, we had learned so many things in Ohio and we started to put some of those things into practice. Uh, with those youth, with that with, youth group and the yeah, young adults. Yeah. And, you know, things were going pretty well um, for a season. Yes. And, and honestly, you know, one of the things that we were really thankful for to this pastor of this church is that, um, because he, when we did speak to him originally is that he truly believed what we were doing is the way to go. And he wanted us to start with his young people because that's the direction he was hoping to take his church. church. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, we'll give it a try, you know? Um, Again, you know, this is for a season and we made sure he knew that because ultimately what we really felt like we were called to do, and we'll go into that a little bit more later, is to have, to basically start our own um, home church. And so we did that for, what, about a year? Roughly, yeah. And we kind of, there was this, just an FYI, this church is predominantly, well, it is, it's a Filipino church. Basically, majority of the people are Filipinos, uh, probably except for their spouses. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and a very and a few handful There's of ninety nine percent Filipino uh, visitors or right. guests that are you know. Anyway, um, so in two thousand fourteen, there was a hurricane that t- transpired in the Philippines in the city of Tacloban, um, and like I said, I was born in the Philippines, but most of my family immediate are are already here in the US. So there was never really a thought in my head to go back to the Philippines to for a visit unless, you know, we visit as a family for a vacation and I, always in my head that's never going to happen because there's a lot of us. There's like four of us at this time cuz Kylie's already married and that costs a lot of money. So there was never really a thought of going to the Philippines. Um but during this time of um the the hurricane 
uh, as I was watching news footages and just things uh, being shown about the devastation that happened, my heart just ached for the people. And again, it has to be the Holy Spirit because again, it was never, it crossed my mind to go back to the Philippines. But the the Lord really just grabbed a hold of my heart and, and said, I want you to go home and do something. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You know, because what am I going to do? We de- we don't have we're we're part of like a small church right now, and we didn't really have our own funds <laughs> to possibly do this. And so I kind of, what did I do, honey? Put out a yeah, please? you know the the Christianese uh, way to talk about it is like what Gideon did, where she laid out a fleece for the Lord. Uh, but you know, really, Wait, is Gideon a girl? No, Gideon's a dude. You said she. I said he. I thought you said she, no, I said but he, whatever. But he uh, he laid out this fleece and yada yada yada. Well, Francis basically does the same thing. I did. She I puts a she puts an if then statement out in front of God. <laughs> so uh, basically, I said, well, okay. So if somebody is going to the Philippines from this Filipino church that we're a part of, then maybe I'll go. If you know, and then yes. So we get to a church service uh, on a Sunday and. Uh, the pastor basically brings his wife up to the front and basically says that she's going to go home to the Philippines and um, going to try to help one of the churches that are in that in that very city that that was devastated. That basically their church was wiped out, and um, so and try to help because they have a parishioner whose family uh, stemmed from that church. So that's kind of how they found out some information regarding the devastation there. A parishioner is just somebody who goes to that church. Right. Yes. Sorry. All right. So in the midst of this, you know, this is a really trying moment for Frances because not only is she going back to the Philippines for the first time, but she's got to raise money in order to do it. Right. So it was really a time to stretch your faith. It is a stretch of faith. And also because I don't like to travel by myself. Like I hate driving anywhere that I don't know where I'm going. I make Jason go drive everywhere. And so in this case... I, I and she complains about my driving, right. by the way. But whatever. But, yeah. But now I have to raise funds, and at the same time, get myself <laughs> to the airport and and change planes and get to the Philippines somehow, you know, and then go to to the, the province where this city is, you know. And now you were going as a partner, right? Yes. Yeah, so we. So basically, I uh, I was going as a tag along to pastor to the pastor's wife um and it was um it was good because i was like excited because at least i'm not alone and there is a plan right. so the plan is we still have like a family home in the philippines in manila so we were gonna i was gonna get there stay there for a few days um and then <coughs> excuse me and then we were gonna go to the city of Tacloban um a few days later uh, together and that's what we did okay and uh, what was that experience like work, working in Tacloban and, and like you had some pretty eye-opening experiences? It was. It was um, <laughs> just like how we mentioned in the first episode of like seeing behind the scenes, yeah. uh, like seeing the wizard behind the curtain. That's kind of what I saw in regards to this particular pastor's wife and the way she did business. And... Um, I don't even know how to well, how to say this or like the way to say it. But what happened is 
you know, we were there to basically come to the home, stay at the home of one of the parishioners, one of the people that goes to that church, and kind of hear the needs and basically donate a lot of the money that we were ra- that I raised individually from like my supporters and what the church, the church itself gave to them to give to this church uh, to help rebuild it or whatever else is needed. Right. And so that was the goal. Um, and and what I found is when she realized that this church was not of the, the same, same denomination, the same denomination, meaning they don't have the same like, what is it? Well, like, denomination is just you know branding basically. Yeah. I mean, they they actually have very similar uh, beliefs. fundamental beliefs, um, very similar doctrinal statements, um, but because it was not. Um, of the same denomination, and and truthfully, I remember you saying some things that she had said uh, that she's probably not aware that you heard. Uh, it had a lot to do with uh, white missionaries as yeah. well, right? For that, from that denomination, from that denomination, yeah. yeah. Well, so what's crazy is, so she was not willing to give certain amount of money, right. all the money or, or support. support to the pastor that was there and the church that were there. It was very much limited. There was like a, uh, a close-fisted yeah. way that she was trying to give support and help. And this is my first time in, that, uh, that I came back to the Philippines since 1982. Yeah. Um, so this is 2014. So all I saw was the people and uh, the need of my people. And then, and one, they're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I was all for giving whatever we can to help them. Um, but she basically kind of almost like halted that. And here's a, a, a very good example. My mom had given us two bags of Hershey Kisses chocolates. And I remember when we lived in the Philippines and when my aunt would come and visit us, she would always bring chocolates and she would pass it out to all the kids. And we were really happy and thankful for that. So that was our way. That was like my mom's way. It was like, hey, give these to the kids, you know? And so I had two bags of Hershey Kisses. And I remember in one of the church meetings, we wanted to, I wanted to like, oh, let's go ahead and share this. You know, there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of, because there's different pastors that came and they had some people that came from, you know, just as a, I think they do a, a monthly prayer or a weekly prayer together. And so I wanted to put out the, the chocolates and... So she stopped me after the first bag and says, you don't need to give out the rest of the bag because these are not even the pastors we're looking for. And I was like, what? And I was like... Almost like she was trying to do a Jedi mind trick on These are not the pastors that you're looking for. Right. So because they were not the pastors that are part of the denomination that she was a part of, you know, we need to limit the blessing. Yeah. You know, and typically I am one to like, give my two cents and actually be passionately um you can't uh, figure that out by now communicate the second episode uh you don't know francis yet i'm trying to hold back honey. <laughs> um and so um but the lord really kept my mouth shut and had me just observe and i really do think that was for my own good and for their good yeah um and really to teach me a lesson great teaching um, experience yes exactly and and so from that time on, I realized this is not 
someone or this ministry, this church that I want to be a part of, meaning I don't want to sit under that. Yeah. You know, we had been serving under their church as youth leaders and young adults leaders. And if that's not how, like, if they're not willing to love others, even if they don't believe the same things. Especially or even in if, the midst of destruction. Right. Even in, in the midst of like, you know, like they see the need and there is this reluctance to help simply because they don't belong in under the same category. I can't, I, I don't know. I just was like, okay, we can't do this. So fast forward to me coming home um, from the Philippines and that, that time frame, I told Jason, it's like, it's time to go. Uh, there is no way I can come back and serve under, and this is what they're about. Um, so when I came home, I spoke to Jason about it. I spoke to my spiritual mentor um, about it and just shared my heart. And they both encouraged, like, you know, and they were both also convinced that, yeah, maybe it is time to move on. Yeah, and moving on meant, you know, at least in our hearts, it meant starting the thing that God called us back here to do. And uh, so we started to put our heads together and really start to plan um, the launching of our church plant and um, what that would look like and, and, you know, what language we would use in order to communicate it and, ha- and how to really talk about it. But the reality is our heart was set on this concept of simplicity in discipleship. Right, like we yes. really, really wanted to center on the idea of discipleship, and so um, taking what we learned in Ohio, yes, and even what we learned here in in the you know the, that first year um, of what not to do, uh, we really kind of uh, honed in on three things. Right, the idea that a disciple of Jesus does three things: they right. love God, they serve, you know, basically one another in the world, and they go. Right, right, their own right. mission, um, and there's scripture that is accompanied with that. Yes. Right, like why don't you read that first one for love, Francis? Okay, Matthew twenty two thirty seven to forty says, Jesus replied, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important: love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments." Love's kind of important, right? Loving God and then loving each other. Yes, it is. Uh, the second one, serve, or, or yeah, serve is First uh, John 3.18. And the word of God says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And nothing's more uh, evident of love than service. Yes. Being, having a servant's heart, right? Jesus said very plainly that he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, part of the love part and then the serving is like there's action in a lo- in loving someone. And there's obviously action when it comes to serving. Right. And the third one is go. And that is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So that's kind of the the, the backdrop of what we really felt 
was the the core message of what it is that we're going to be doing from here on out. And you know, as we started to dream and and really reach started to come to fruition, right? Like the idea of a, of a church that is is based on this idea of love serve go. Um, you know, long time before coming back to Maryland uh, in that overhaul stage, one of the things that we were doing is we were really tr- seeking the Lord's uh, wisdom on the future and what it is that we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to be doing it. And the Lord took us to the scriptures in the book of Acts. As we were looking at what the church is supposed to be. And man, it just leapt off the page at me. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's I, for sure. <laughs> I remember um, reading through how the church started to take shape, um, you know, after Christ, uh, re- you know, he resurrected and ascended into heaven. And, and this one scripture in Acts chapter 19, where Luke is trying to describe how the Ephesian church was exploding in the region. And this one statement that he makes really just, it just shocked me. It's like, he says basically that, uh, the entire region heard the gospel. And as you look at the church planning effort of Ephesus, Paul took an approach that is very kind of novel. It's, it's kind of different than other church planning efforts. And in that, uh, the city of Ephesus was one through a series or a network of house churches that surrounded the city. And Paul did his training within the city center, but the churches really existed in homes that centered and were circled the city itself. And that really spoke to me. And it really felt like what it is that we needed to do when we came home, which was surround the city of Washington, D.C. with these small communities that multiply, right, in yes. different neighborhoods, mm-hmm. as opposed to one big uh, mega church set up like you see so many of in this community. Uh, the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area is really a saturated community of churches, but there's really no gospel uh, evidence in the right. community. And so, and that was the heartbreaking yeah. part, I think, of, um, you know, coming back to the county that we grew up and lived in, you know, like from, like, I guess, like early part of our lives, right. is that um, there were tons of churches almost in every corner of the county, but there was, like Jason said, there was no evidence of, like, truly a united community and, and gospel love, transformation and, and, and gospel transformation yeah. because a lot of them were professing christians and yet what was like in the news what was always communicated even when we were away what we hear we heard from news of what's going on in the county were not like you know like good things it's always of yeah the there gospel. was no evidence yeah. of good things happening within the community maybe there are pockets of what was happening but the overarching um like message that was communicated yeah. is like the, they were a hot mess, um, but we really wanted to come back to our roots here. Right. Yeah. And we came back to our roots with the hope of, of, you know, multiplying what it is that we're doing that, you know, that was a big part of what, the going part, right? Yes, like, so exactly. So developing, uh, leaders and then sending, Right. Like making sure that, you know, we're not sitting on a a quote unquote pew or a couch or even in a a house church. You can sit on a couch and just kind of sit there and and never really do anything. But the reality is uh, a big part of our discipleship process is the going, the sending. Yes. And so um, we wanted to make a difference in the community and for people to to see the evidence of the gospel being lived out in people's lives 
uh, in neighborhoods and in their jobs and in their schools and in uh, wherever the 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 that Christ brought you, it should affect all the aspects of your life. Right, and right. that's where the birth of actually reach comes from is is that the Holy Spirit or um, you know, the Godhead reaching into the community as opposed to the community coming to God, right? The whole concept in the book of Acts is this shift from Jerusalem to Antioch, which Antioch, the main city in, in, in that where the church was planted and sending missionaries to the world, right? right. We're a sending church. And, you know, that's a really important aspect of what we're doing. And it was really paramount to what we're doing when we came home. Like we saw... All these folks, churches with 30,000 people, 10,000 people, but you don't really see the evidence of the sending happening in the community. And that's the real like bedrock of what it is that we want to do is we want to be a body that not just sits you know, together and sings Kumbaya, but we want to come together and get strong as believers and then send people into their into their spheres of influence and see the gospel bring transformation into those areas and i mean i think you know uh one of the things that i we heard a lot from let's say people that are not part of a church body is that you know christians only go to church and they're there for each other and it's not they're not like you know they really it's almost like a uh an exclusivity, you know, in the church. And not that there are no churches doing good outside, but it's almost just, it's like a program. It's a program that's set up by the church and then they all do good serving others. But what happens on the other day is that there's no program set up for right. that. Like, how are you impacting your sphere of influences? You know, and I think part of what we wanted to do it this way is like, you know, in a smaller setting, in a living room, you can truly make disciples. Meaning you can go to the Word of God and dissect the Word of God. You have to have questions. When you're in a traditional church, it's usually, you you can't speak when the pastor is preaching. If you have a disciple group, you can speak there, but typically it's still also another form of teaching. So somebody else is teaching you information. You could have questions, but honestly, one, where we saw growth in people are when there's also accountability in their actions, you know, like, oh, you're professing Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, yet this is what you're doing in your personal life. So, you know, when we are able to like say, what's up with that? And how does that relate to what the word of God says? Or like, is that truly loving your, your brother or sister Christ? Or is it really loving other people as well? You know, then it starts to like hold them accountable to what it is that they truly believe about who God is and what he says in his word. Yeah, I think that the only way that that happens is through uh, relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like the only way you're able to actually be that close to someone to see that accountability piece that you're describing is through relationship and actually submitting to this uh, situation where you let someone in. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, every person I think... Not only do they want to feel love, but they want to be loved in their realness. You know, like you want to be loved, like, but by someone that sees all your mess, right? It's not like some idea of perfectness of you. So, what happens in, you know, in a real community or body of believers, you really see their mess. And you love them through it. You point them to Christ. You help them uh, apply scriptures to be able to, to, um, 
you know, walk away from that sin or even like how to uh, to be a great employee at work or how to, you know, different things like that. And it's a, a, way, a way for you to experience grace. Yes. You know, when you mess up and you have a brother or sister in Christ who's close enough to see you mess up and you show them grace and you love on them and you walk with them and you cry with them and you pray with them and you encourage them. You know, you can't do that when you are just doing it by yourself. You know, you need to have those brothers and sisters in Christ to be shoulder to shoulder with you. Right. Or if you don't let anybody in. Or if you don't let anybody in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's really the culmination of our journey. Yes. And, you know, the leap was when we decided to step out and really start this reach thing. Right. Yes. And. You know, I hope that you're willing to take a leap yourself, listener. Um, when God actually, uh, when he really speaks, and I hope you hear that as the theme of our of our podcast, you know, woven through every single one of these is that um, God speaks to us, right? He speaks through his word. He speaks through other people. Um, but when he speaks, we have to act. We have to be obedient and we have to do what God says to do. And sometimes that means stay where you are. Sometimes it means go. go. Um, but you got to be willing to take the leap. It takes faith. It takes um, trust. But none of those things matter if you're not willing to take the leap. And honestly, you can't really have that tr- trust um, and take that leap if you don't know person or the Godhead that's actually asking you to take that leap. Amen to that. Um, So first and foremost is like if you say you are a follower of Christ or that you're a Christian, then you need to know the word of God. And you got to know Jesus. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's the big thing is, is, you know, the only way you can get to know Jesus is through his word. Mm -hmm. So God bless you. Thank you for listening. And uh, one thing to look out for in the future is... Um, starting in the month of February, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to start a series. Um, and it's going to be a tough series. It's going to be, but it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be, uh, about racial reconciliation and how it's an implication of the gospel. And, uh, look forward to that. It's called Confessions of a White Pastor. I hope you'll continue listening. God bless you. Bye-bye. See you next time.